Hello, my friends. I'm going to take one more pass at C-63, Trudeau's new censorship law. I'm going to tell you some of the foreign reaction, which obviously is more critical than the Canadian reaction, because most Canadian journalists are on the payroll of Justin Trudeau. They don't dare criticize him. I'll show you what some interesting out-of-Canada voices have to say. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's a video version of this podcast. It's eight bucks a month. You get the video version. And importantly, you help keep us alive because we do not take any money from Justin Trudeau and it shows. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, international reaction to Trudeau's censorship plans grows. It's February 29th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. I can't get over Bill C-63, the Online Harms Act. I, I sort of knew it was coming. This was introduced a few years ago by uh, the Heritage Minister, believe it or not, when it was Stephen Gilbo. It was reintroduced this week by the Justice Minister, whose title now includes Minister of State for Online Harms. That's how important it is to Trudeau. Just a super quick summary, if you've been under a rock or haven't been watching my various shows on it. Um, this law is astonishing. It creates a sentence of life in prison for hate. It has absurd rules like social media companies must take complaints down, complain about matter down within 24 hours or face extraordinary fines. Um, you can be charged for anything that you write, including historical things. As long as they're still on the Internet and you have the ability to take them down, you are liable for those words. Words are being criminalized, in particular, if you say anything against people who are transgender, they identify as or express as a woman if they're a man. That's one of the particular things that is a, a characteristic you cannot criticize in a manner that would likely lead to hate. Uh, there's a bounty for nuisance complaints. It's not just going to be prosecutors out there on behalf of the government suing people. Anyone, even non-citizens, even secret complainants can file complaints against you or you or me and have a hearing and keep their secrecy the whole time. One of the most shocking things is preemptive restraining orders with extraordinary powers. For example, on the mere suspicion that you may say something hateful, preemptively, you can be put under house arrest. You can have to have an ankle bracelet, one of those monitors. You can be forced to give blood or alcohol, sorry, blood or urine tests. It's just very bizarre. It's so bizarre that really smart people who read the news a lot just said this can't be true. One of the smartest people I know is Jordan Peterson, the uh, professor from Toronto who's actually world famous with his rules for life. Um, I had written this little tweet in response to someone who asked a question. Um, here's what I said, and Jordan Peterson saw this. I said, the Online Harms Act specifically states that if there is an offensive publication that is still online and you have the ability to delete it, you are liable for it. Literally everything you've ever written online will now be actionable against you. Now, that doesn't sound right. How can that be? 
Well, Jordan Peterson asked me that question. He said, where does it state that, Mr. Levant? He called me Mr. Levant. A genuine question. Well, I, I saw that a few hours later, and I wrote back, and I said the bill would create a new Section 13.2 of the Canadian Human Rights Act. It says you're liable for anything you've ever posted if you have the power to remove it now. And then I have a link, a clickable link there, and I say screenshot below. I took a picture of it, and I said you can learn more at our website, stopthecensorship.ca. So there it is. I, I think he thought maybe I was exaggerating. And he wrote back cynically or sarcastically, he said, excellent, retroactive crime. Thanks, Justin Trudeau. That's an evil I hadn't considered before. Sincerely, Satan. His point being, of course, all criminal code prosecutions are for things that you have done. But I think he was astonished that anything you've done years or even decades ago, if it's online, you can be prosecuted for new rules for what you did then when it was legal then. Not only is that a novelty, but of course the pre-crimes we were talking about is a novelty. This law is really about time travel, isn't it? Now, Scott Adams, who, as you may know, is the inventor of the Dilbert cartoon, and he's become quite a popular political commentator, he saw this exchange between Jordan Peterson and me. He saw my response, where I had a link to the primary document, the bill itself, and I had a screenshot of it, just so people didn't have to do the clicking themselves if they didn't want to. It's all the, it's in plain English. In fact, it's a very short section. And um, he just didn't believe it. He said, it's too on the nose, he said. It's just, it's too crazy. Something's got to be amiss. Here's a clip of his popular live stream. Now, uh, here's a story that I swear to God, I can't believe it's true. But, you know, Jordan Peterson was interacting with the story, and there was a source was shown. So maybe it's true. Canada is introducing the Harms Act, where the government can put you under house arrest or make you wear an ankle bracelet if someone else believes that you might in the future write something hateful online. What? If somebody thinks you might in the future write something hateful online, Canada can put a bracelet on you and give you house arrest. How can that be true? I'm going to put a stake in the story and say it's not true that there's something missing. Now, I saw the source, and it looked like an official bill. There's something wrong here. I, I'm going to say this is too on the nose, and that there's no way Canada is going to punish people for a crime they didn't do. I, I'm going to say no. Too on the nose. Now, I, I get that I saw the source. I get that I saw the source. Don't believe it. Yeah. Um, I know why he's thinking that is because he's, I'm going to guess he's about 60 years old. And his whole life, he's seen Canada maybe out of the corner of his eye. Maybe he's visited Canada. And he thought Canada is sort of like a calmer, um, slightly more British, slightly more French America. Uh, they have the same civil liberties, liberal democracy, rule of law. These things sound so crazy, it just can't be. It just can't be. And I, I know that instinct. I know that feeling. You don't want to give up on your theory of the world, even when an uncomfortable fact comes. And the truth is, C-63 is an uncomfortable fact. It is an un-Canadian, unfree, 
illiberal, authoritarian, tyrannical rule. And a lot of friends of Canada would rather just not want to see it or say you must have something wrong than to acknowledge that's the troublesome state we're in. I've been watching this issue very closely. I, I'm, I was staying up late just looking at reactions to it, and I have actually seen no supporters of C-63 other than paid activists or people who think they will get paid from it. There is no demand for this. Canadians are talking about a lot of things out there, grocery prices, rent prices, uh, out-of-control immigration, carbon taxes, traffic, waiting lists for healthcare, waiting lines for schools. There's a lot of things people are upset about. I, I mean, have you ever heard anyone wandering around saying, what we need is for the government to set up not one, not two, but three new censorship agencies and have a life in prison? Like, I, I've never heard any person say that. Bernie Farber, a grifter who is with the anti-hate network, or used to be at least, he loves this because this is his business. Uh, Stephen Camp, who for years with, was with the Edmonton Police hate unit and is now on a Trudeau hate team. He loves it. And to my great embarrassment, one of the official Jewish agencies in this country called CJA, which I think stands for Council for Israel and Jewish Affairs, they came out big time for it. I was deeply embarrassed that they did so in my name. The J in CJA is Jewish. I'm Jewish. They didn't ask me. Here's what they wrote. Tell your member of parliament to support Canada's Jews and Bill C-63, and then they have a link. They say, as Jews know all too well, what happens online does not stay online. It affects our community, our children, in real life. On Monday, February 26th, Minister of Justice Arif Varani tabled the long-awaited Bill C-63, the Online Harms Act. With this act, we have a chance to diminish Jew hatred online. Uh, just scroll down underneath that tweet to see all the replies mainly from pro-Jewish people, uh, pro-Jewish allies, that is, not Jews themselves, but Christians and conservatives saying, what are you doing? I recognize some of the names on there. There, there are some Jews saying, don't do this in my name, but there's some righteous Gentiles saying, this is a quick way to uh, lose a lot of friends. Um, now, the first thing to say is that Sija is, is on Trudeau's payroll. Uh, here's a link showing just a portion of the grants that they receive from the government. I counted up about a quarter million dollars there from Trudeau. I don't know, I guess money talks. But imagine being the Jewish lobby and supporting Trudeau. Imagine supporting these guys. Here's Mark Miller, who's in cabinet only because he was part of Justin Trudeau's wedding party. Like he is a wholly untalented and, and incompetent man. But he's been given important files because he was there at Trudeau's wedding. Here he is saying that Jews in Gaza who were kidnapped by Hamas, including babies, they're not the hostages. The hostages are the Gazans themselves. Look at this. I undertook with my cabinet colleagues to help push uh, local authorities, including Israel and Egypt, to make sure that uh, we could facilitate their transition into Cairo and then uh, complete biometrics and then to Canada so that they can be in safety. So it's very frustrating to me. I don't want to put together a program that is failing, but we are all failing Gazans at this point, and I think that is something that um, we need to realize. Uh, they are under, uh, they are, it's probably the largest hostage taking right now in, in, in the world, and it is something that, um, if Canada can play a small role in it, we can't be everything to everyone, but if Canada 
can play a role in this uh, in getting people out and safe, we're willing to play it. But right now, uh, we haven't had the success that we wanted to. And here's a clip from later in the day when Melanie Jolie, the foreign minister, was asked about a massacre of Gazans by Israel. But it wasn't by Israel. It was by Hamas. Uh, they drove an aid truck over starving Gazans that Hamas was stealing the aid from. It was Hamas that killed the Gazans. The question was put to Jolie. She obviously knew what the facts were, but she went with it because the Liberal Party of Canada has gone full pro-Hamas. Here, watch for yourself. This morning, an Israeli attack killed 112, at least 112 Palestinians waiting mm -hmm. for food aid in Gaza. What, at this point, what more can you do now that you've called for a ceasefire to urge Israel to so, stop? Indeed, we have called for a ceasefire. When it comes to uh, what happened in Gaza today, you've heard me. I, I must say, I think this is a nightmare. I think the violence must stop. I think civilians can not be targeted. And at the end of the day, we need to make sure that international aid is sent into Gaza and that people are protected when they go and get that aid that they need to survive. So we are calling for both parties to respect the International Court of Justice decision. And at all times, international humanitarian law must be respected. Here's the drone footage showing what happened. It wasn't Israeli troops that killed them. It was Hamas on the truck and driving the truck. Imagine thinking that these are the good guys. Well, let me show you what I wrote to CJ. And I should tell you that, I don't know, about a decade ago or a little more than that, I was actually on the board of directors of the precursor organization to CJ called the Canada-Israel Community. It was a volunteer position. Uh, I was not elected to it. CJ is not elected by Jews. They claim to speak for Jews, but they're just sort of self-appointed in that regard. They're actually recruited by big donors who are mainly Montreal Jewish liberals. I was sort of the token conservative. They thought they'd better bring me aboard because they knew this was, I guess, more than 10 years ago now. They knew that Stephen Harper was coming up and the liberals were going to go into the wilderness for a while and they wanted to have some connection to the conservatives. So I got to see them from the inside. Uh, let me read to you what I wrote online in, resp in response to CJ. I said, this is a disgrace. And it is not supported by ordinary Jews. This is a statement by official Jews who happen to have been paid $250,000 by Trudeau. And I had a link that I showed you earlier. I said, they're Trudeau's house Jews, willing to sell out their own interests for a few bucks. They're the corporate equivalent of Anthony Housefather. Uh, he's the liberal cabinet minister who has decided, keeping his cabinet minister's chauffeured limousine, an expense account, is more important than him to him than representing his conscience or his constituents. Philosophically, censorship is contrary to Jewish ethics of debate and dissent. Two Jews, three opinions, goes the saying. Democratically, CJ has no mandate to say this on behalf of anyone. Not that they ever do. CJ's board is handpicked by liberal-affiliated donors, not elected by grassroots Jews. But pragmatically, this censorship law will be used against Jews and Zionists. The woke left already says Zionism is racism. This law will weaponize that. Existing human rights laws have already been used to outlaw criticism of Islam as Islamophobia. I myself was prosecuted for 900 days for publishing the Danish cartoons of Mohammed, and Mark Stein was too for questioning unlimited immigration. These official Jews think it's 1990. 
when they had a monopoly on political cancel culture, when the Muslim population in Canada was trivial, and when the threat was harmless, poor, white anti-Semites with obscure blogs. Today, the anti-Israel left dominates cancel culture, and anti-Semites are rich, powerful, and more numerous than the Jews. It's a laugh to think that Trudeau cares about anti-Semitism. He allows it in his own caucus, in his own cabinet, and he indulges in it himself. Time after time, his government hires brutal Jew-haters to senior positions in government, from Amira El-Gawabi to Laith Marouf to Omar Al-Gabra. Do the official Jews really think that Trudeau's going to stop the tidal wave of Islamist and leftist anti-Semitism online when he abides it in real life? It's already against the criminal code to, quote, promote anti-Semitism by condoning, denying, or downplaying the Holocaust. That's actually in the criminal code, section 319. It's already against the criminal code to, quote, advocate or promote genocide. That is section 318. That is against the law. It's a crime right now. Yeah, both of those things are happening every day in the streets of Toronto and Montreal and elsewhere, and Trudeau hasn't said a word against it, let alone prosecute anyone. Why would the official Jews think that Trudeau would suddenly turn into a savior of the Jews online? The official Jews are just an arm of the Liberal Party, I wrote. The former head of the Canada-Israel Committee, Mark Gold, is now Trudeau's leader in the Senate. Siege's support for the censorship is not in the Jewish interest. But it is in Trudeau's interest, and that's what's important to them. The majority of Canadians, time and again, tell posters they're against government censorship, and those numbers are highest amongst conservatives, the very people who support Israel the most. Siege's support for Trudeau's censorship will not convince a single person, but it will antagonize the Jews' remaining friends in Canada. This is stupid, self-destructive, dishonest, and partisan. The fact that Siege's position is identical to the position of the Islamist National Council for Canadian Muslims tells you all you need to know. If this were 1940, Sija would be auditioning for the role of the Judenrat, so gross, or as the Jews would say, a shanda for the goyim. In Yiddish, that means a shame unto the people. It's an embarrassment for the Jewish community and the broader community. I'm embarrassed for them, and it's stupid. Do they really think that Justin Trudeau is suddenly going to go to war against anti-Semitism? And what does it mean to go against the, the war uh, anti-Semitism online when you've got actual violence on the streets, Molotov cocktails thrown at schools and synagogues, um, let alone just basic things like extremely violent graffiti around Toronto, harassment of people, uh, uh, smashing things, um, terrifying people at Jewish-run businesses, um, going into malls masked up and threatening people with murder. You think the problem is some tweet? The problem's in the streets. What fools would think, oh, banning things on the internet will solve this problem that way? That's what the Liberal Party would say, not what any Jewish advocates would say. I'm embarrassed for them. Uh, but other people who aren't paid... By the government. Like I say, it's only people who are on the payroll who support this. I've literally never met nor even heard of anyone who likes this other than if they're part of that grifting race huckster industry. But I think the rest of the world is starting to wake up even more than Canada's own media. I did one hour on the channel InfoWars today, letting Americans know what's going on. I was invited by Glenn Beck on tomorrow morning. I'll be on his radio show at about 9.30 a.m. Eastern time to talk about this. I think the world outside of Canada is waking up, and they're shocked. Like I say, neither Jordan Peterson, who I guess is Ontarian, but he's sort of a global force these days, and Scott Adams wouldn't even believe it. He said, I saw the proof. I saw the I just don't believe it. I think this is going to get more coverage internationally than in Canada because, of course, as you know, 
Canadian journalists are all on Trudeau's payroll, just like CJ is. I'm trying to figure out what to do. We've got a petition at stopthecensorship.ca. We've had that up there for a while. It's actually got about 60,000 signatures. If you want to add yours, feel free. The reason for that is to show politicians how big an issue this is. Imagine if we got 100,000 or 200,000 signatures. That's a mighty big petition. I think that would demonstrate to politicians how wrong this is. When was the last time you heard of a petition that big? It's pretty rare. We're not in a position to stop it legally yet because it's not enacted yet. We have to wait till this law takes effect and then wait till they operationalize it. I don't know if simply having it on the books is enough. I think maybe they have to start hunting and censoring people before we can take action, but we will. In the meantime, I think step one for us is to teach the world, spread the word about what's going on, and argue with people like the fools of the Jewish agency who think that this censorship is going to work out well for them. Censorship never works out well. Well, that's I'm trying to get it out of my system, but I'm not going to get it out of my system. This is such a terrifying thing. It really is an existential threat to anyone whose motto is telling the other side of the story because the other side of the story is being criminalized. Uh, we're going to fight this as hard as we can and as smart as we can. And the fight has begun already. Stay with us. Mark Morano's next. Hey, welcome back. Obviously, we are very... I'm not going to say that we're obsessed with Bill C-63. Uh, it's like the saying goes, you may not be interested in politics, but politics is interested in you. We can pretend C-63 is just a regular piece of news, but that would be false. C-63 is a hunter-killer piece of legislation designed to silence peaceful protest and criticism of Justin Trudeau with the most authoritarian means ever seen in the free world. It's just that. So please forgive me for focusing on it for days in a row. But there are other things going on in the world. Authoritarianism and tyranny take many forms. I don't know if you remember a few months ago when I went to uh, the Netherlands to meet with Geert Wilders. He's the leader of the Party for Freedom, who stunned observers by uh, winning the most seats in their parliamentary election. It was very interesting to go out there. And I had a 20-minute interview with him, which I thought was very exciting for me. But there was one moment in the interview that was just weird. And, and let me play it for you, and let me comment on it, and let me, let, let me introduce our next guest. Remember this from that interview? People feel that they are totally rejected, the Dutchmen, the indigenous people. Uh, they believe that uh, while we spent uh, 60, 17 billion uh, euros a year uh, um, um, when it comes to uh, nitrogen or uh, climate change or all those other things, that um, um, they are, have trouble um, paying their, for their utilities, uh, the rent, uh, uh, the gasoline for their car, um, 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 the, the, the social security or the, the healthcare system. So we believe that we should stop um, um, feeding those leftish liberal ideological nonsense issues and we should more, um, make sure that our people uh, have enough uh, money in the pocket that really can can help our economy and help themselves. Geert Wilders was talking about nitrogen, one of the elements on the periodic table, the same way that Canadians talk about carbon, 
Canadian politicians are obsessed with carbon. Carbon tax, carbon neutral, carbon levy, carbon rebate, carbon, carbon, carbon. You talk to anyone 15 years ago, they'd say, what are you, crazy? Is this, is this a chemistry test? If you press them, they say, well, carbon is with carbon dioxide. Every sugar is carbon. Hydrocarbons are natural gas. We're made of carbon. And it wasn't until I heard Heert heard Builders talk about nitrogen, blah, 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 nitrogen, just dropped it casually that I thought, he sounds crazy talking about nitrogen that way, but I know it's not him. I know it's the rule he's against. We sound crazy that way talking about carbon. It is insane to declare war against an element on the periodic table, especially one that's so ubiquitous. Not only is carbon the stuff of life, the stuff of everything, but nitrogen even more so. The majority of air is nitrogen. Imagine declaring war on nitrogen. These people are crazy. And when, when I mean these people, I don't mean clear builders. He was talking about the craziness of using nitrogen, making it scary and using that as a battering ram. And the reason I mention that is that the Netherlands is one of the largest food exporters in the world. It's enormous in agriculture. You wouldn't think it from a fairly small country, but it is. And the same way going to war against carbon in Canada, one of the coldest countries in the world, one of the largest countries in the world, going to war against carbon is nuts in a large cold country. Going to war against nitrogen, which is a factor in agricultural fertilizer, is nuts. And the only way it can be justified is when you realize that they have the same war on food as they have the war on fuel. And a happy society depends on plentiful, cheap energy and food. And it's the same mind virus that goes after carbon, that goes after nitrogen. With that lengthy introduction, let me introduce you a man who follows carbon more than most. He's the CEO of ClimateDepot.com. You know who I'm talking about, my friend Mark Moran. Mark, great to see you again. Hey, thank you, Ezra. Happy to be here. Don't mind me rambling on a little bit about nitrogen. It was just, I'm, we're going to talk about nitrogen a bit today because that's one of the issues in this uprising in Europe, the farmer rebellion. And hearing Hirt Builders mention nitrogen so casually, it would be like if someone suddenly out of the blue said, we've got to do something about all this hydrogen. You'd say, what are you, are you crazy? Yes, it is a madness. Mark, Tell us what's going on in Europe. We see images of farmers protesting in the most creative ways, you know, dumping manure in, on politicians' yeah. buildings. Give us an update. What's going on with the farmers' protests in, in Belgium especially? It gives me some vibes of the Canadian trucker protest. It does. That's the first thing I was going to say, Ezra, is Europeans probably wake up every day and thank God that Justin Trudeau isn't their leader, because mm. right now they would be declared domestic terrorists under a first ever invoked emergencies act in Europe. And they would be facing uh, not having access to their own money, having their insurance canceled. So the good news is Justin Trudeau's not there to crack down on them. That's the first yeah. point I wanted to make. Uh, but it's absolutely amazing what is happening. What's happening in Europe right now with this farmer rebellion is what I wish had happened back in March and April of 2020 with the general public mm. against the public health tyranny that was COVID and lockdowns and stay at home and social distancing uh, and cancellation of wedding funerals. The farmers 
aren't taking it anymore. And what they're not taking is the net zero agenda that was born out of the 1992 Rio Earth Summit. And then, of course, moved forward all the way to the U.N. Paris Agreement. And the idea here is, and in many of these countries, it's not even the, the politicians go and agree to these U.N. climate summits, but then they become law at home and the courts order the farmers to start reducing emissions. And what happens is these are climate compliance costs, meaning small uh, family run generational farms can't afford the cost to absorb all of these costs and new ways and new technology that's supposed to capture the nitrogen. And what ends up happening is they're facing extinction. The big boys come in, the billionaire, the equity asset, the big agribusiness corporate, which is exactly what the forces of the United Nations World Economic Forum want because they can control them. And this is what happened in the Netherlands. They were facing 10,000 small, medium, family-run farms for generations being shut down. The farmers in the Netherlands fought back. And I think the farmers of the rest of Europe watched what happened. The mm. farmers in the Netherlands formed their own political party, the BBB. Mm. They're now a governing coalition mm -hmm. and they're stopping the net zero madness. So in Belgium, in France, in Poland, in Spain, in Sweden, at the headquarters of the EU in Brussels, they are letting it be known that they are not going to allow the net zero agenda to shut them down. And by the way, now the, the second part of your question is nitrogen. It's insane. And they're trying to move nitrogen on the same pedestal as they put CO2 nitrogen as the worshiping warming agent. It's like 78% of error. So I forget my, my high school chemistry. It's like more than 70% of error is nitrogen. Am I right on that? Like it's crazy. Yeah. I don't have, yeah. <laughs> like it's, the, I don't it's really... the most common gas. And it is, it's one of the lowest number elements. It's one of the most common elements like carbon and nitrogen. Carbon, nitrogen, yeah. and oxygen and hydrogen. That's half of the stuff. Like that's and you might as well go after H2O and yeah. go after water, go after oxygen. Yeah. Okay. So what happened with nitrogen is in order they, – they've demonized two things that deal with food production. Nitrogen, which, uh, which is used for fertilizer. Now, Norman Borlaug won the Nobel Peace Prize for his invention of the golden rice. And part of this whole green revolution in agriculture was based on high-yield uh, fertilizers, of which nitrogen is one. The problem is, well, I shouldn't say the problem is, but the catch is for the climate activists is it produces nitrous oxide, which is a greenhouse gas. And this is what they're focusing on as a way to go after our food supply. And they have a two-pronged attack. Don't forget about methane. They're going after the fertilizer, which produces the high yield agriculture and has fed the world for the last 60, 50, 60 years. And they're going after methane, which is animal agriculture and meat eating. That's the key thing. And so uh, John Kerry just announced last summer in 2023 that the U.S. agriculture is now going to have to fall under the net zero. In other words, a direct attack on nitrous, uh, nitrogen and methane. And it's so insane with nitrogen that the Scientific American last year in 2023, Ezra, had an article about how human pee is a pollution problem. Oh and you might say, well, what are they talking about? Humans are eating too much meat, which is then coming out in our urine as nitrous oxide, which is then causing global oh warming. My That's God. how insane this whole movement has become. So they want to roll methane, nitrogen, and carbon dioxide into one bundle so that they can come after us uh, and literally shut down. It's not that they want to shut down all of modern civilization. They want to gain the levers of control and get rid of all the small independent uh, and just like in COVID, how they crush the small businesses, the mom and pops, they want that corporate control because then you have corporate government collusion and you can set global policy 
instantly. You're so right. And I'm just thinking, I do remember from my high school chemistry, methane is CH4. It's it's such a building block molecule. It's so common. Uh, methane is naturally occurring. And and imagine declaring war on that. It would be like de- declaring, almost like declaring war on water, as you said. It's well, madness. But it, it's actually it, it, a study, and uh, I, I believe in England, the journal PLOS in December 2023, two months ago, human breath uh, contributes to global warming. This is a peer-reviewed study. Africans warm the air with their breath more than Asians, and women warm the air with their breath more than men. So it's a war against humans as well, as well oh as industrial activity. You, you know, it's absolutely crazy, and I'm glad that the farmers of Europe are standing up. Listen, farmers have been rebelling in one way or another in Europe for a long time, and there's sometimes a hodgepodge of ideas afoot. I, I understood why the truckers revolted in Canada two years ago. It was crystal clear what the crisis was, and because we were on the scene, we could understand it. There's a bit of a language barrier sometimes with the European farmers, and yeah. I know one of the issues is, for example, dumping of cheap Ukrainian grain in Europe to help Ukraine, and so there there are some different issues afoot there. But I tell you, the last five years, watching the World Economic Forum, watching the war on carbon and watching the war on nitrogen, the war on farmers, the war on food, the war on fuel, even though there are some unanswered questions for me about who these farmers are and what they're fighting for, my instincts are to side with them because I know the guys on the other side are the bad guys, Mark. They absolutely are. This is what happened in Sri Lanka, remember. They were going to stop all modern farming because of it contributing to global warming. They had the highest ESG score in the world, and they went full organic virtually overnight by agricultural standards within a couple of years. And the entire country's food supply collapsed. Like a man-made potato famine. But they chose to do it. They chose, and this was praised. The World Economic Forum had feature articles about how this- Sri Lanka is a poor country. They can't mess around like that. That sounds like a, you know what? Sometimes you see people who have sort of hobby gardens and craft gardens, and and listen, gardening is one of the best activities out there, absolutely. But to say, no, I'm going to replace, you know, agriculture with my own little hand curated, you know, urban chicken or something, that's a, a rich Westerner's daydream to impose that on Sri Lanka, a crowded, poor, low-income country that doesn't have a lot of margin for error, and say, guess what? You're going full San Francisco organic. You're going full left-wing liberal, you know, quirky uh, Instagram farmer. <laughs> well, how, did, how did it resolve in Sri Lanka, by the way? How did it end? Well, I remember yeah. the crisis. Yes, well, it resolved by the peasants overrunning the presidential palace, swimming in the pool. The the president was exiled. And this is no joke. The World Economic Forum scrubbed the article from their webpage about the about how Sri Lanka was going to lead the world with the net zero agricultural policy and how wonderful it was going to be. They are now rejecting all of that and they're back to having a they're working back toward a stable food supply there. The problem is no one learned the lesson. We have Justin Trudeau imposing this on Canadian farmers. It's spreading to Australia. I talked to a biologist over there. Biologist Jennifer Moriosi said it's decimating uh, Australian agriculture. And in the United States, you have Bill Gates, the number one farmland owner, Jeff Bezos, another billionaire very close behind. You have China, political magazine, worried about China having an agricultural land monopoly in the United States. They actually bought up uh, pork 
pork production company. It's and they dominate the market in that Chinese own. So what we have here is the food supply is critical. Just remember the big picture here is it's the intentional collapse and, and rationing of energy, intentional collapse and rationing of plentiful food supply and uh, and the uh, the collapse of our freedom of movement. They're coming after the airline travel, France starting the flight bans at two and a half hour, that's spreading, the gas powered car bans, the BBC saying it's not a question of, of if, but when flying will be severely restricted due to the climate. All of these things are happening as well as, uh, you know, suspending our free speech, but the food is the lightning point. And the message here, the takeaway is, we need to support these farmers. This is the greatest pushback I've seen probably in my lifetime of the last, uh, last 10 years against this whole globalist great reset agenda. These farmers aren't kidding around and they're not taking it anymore. The EU is already blinking and talking mm. about backing down on some of the net zero emission standards for farms, but it's got to go way beyond that. Wow. You know, we have covered things in Europe before. As you know, we go to the World Economic Forum every January. I think we've been three yeah. times now. I myself have been twice. We have sent reporters, I think on three occasions, to cover the Dutch farmer rebellion. Is this re rebellion against the European Union in Brussels, is it still going on right now? Because if so, maybe we'll send some reporters over because we do have a lot of frequent flyer points. Our guys travel cheap and travel light. Yeah. Is it still going on right now? Yeah, well, today's Thursday. I was as of like Monday and Tuesday. It was. I have not seen the last couple of days, but yeah, they're they're barricading it. They're all the tractors are out. They have uh, the crowds of people, the peasants, if you will, as the, as the global elite likes to call us. The masses are out there unanimously supporting what the farmers are doing. Hmm. That's why they have the power. Hmm. It's not like the farmers are just out there alone. And I think the EU is terrified of them. So what we would need to do is keep this going, keep the pressure. Because if we can have one of the one of this you know legs of the Great Reset collapse, the agricultural aspect. It won't be long before we can fight back on the transportation and the energy aspect. Yeah, wow. Well, I've never been to Belgium before. Uh, I don't, I mean, I know in the Netherlands, they almost all speak English, same in Germany. I, I, my French is not very strong, but I am, you've got me very curious. And I love the imagery of the farmers, especially with their manure spreaders doing yes. that. On, but that just, I get a real chuckle out of that every time I see that. You know what? I'm going to look into this a little bit more. If it's still ongoing, and, uh, and if we can get there economically, like using points or something, I think maybe we should go there again. Because I, I think people really enjoyed our coverage of the Dutch farmer rebellion. And yeah. um, especially if it's motivated. I mean, I think I'd love to talk to them about if the truckers of Canada were some sort of inspiration. And uh, you're planting seeds of ideas in my mind, Mark, and I appreciate <laughs> that. Thanks for joining Thank us you. as always. And uh, keep up the fight, climatedepot.com really the leading clearinghouse for information about the war on carbon and, frankly, the war on nitrogen, too. Great to see you. Thank you, Ezra. Appreciate it. All right. Stay with us. More ahead. So Rebel News is a big organization. We've got a lot of journalists from coast to coast, Drea, out west, Sheila in Edmonton. We've got a, reporters in Calgary and Montreal, Alexis out there, and Robert Krejcik's in Ottawa, and I'm out here. We, we've got a lot of stuff going on. So the fact that I am focused like a laser on Bill C-63 doesn't mean we stop talking about other issues. I think I'm going to be focused on C-63 because I guess it's my round two against the Canadian Human Rights Commission. You might recall that 
more than, I guess, about 15 years ago. I was put through the Alberta Human Rights Commission on that Danish cartoon business. And then there was a complaint filed against me at the Canadian Human Rights Commission. They dropped it immediately. They didn't want to battle with me. But now they're stronger, rougher, tougher. Trudeau's in charge. I guess this is round two. You know, almost 20 years later, this is round two with the Human Rights Commissions. I feel like it's my duty to fight back. I feel like I have an experience with these human rights commissions that most people don't, thank God. I feel that my legal background, I'm, I no longer practice as a lawyer, but we deal with legal things every day here, obviously. We've got smart lawyers who fight for freedom and sometimes win. I think this is when we have to win. And I think it's so outrageous, I think it's when we actually can win. You can, we're putting together a compilation page at stopthecensorship.ca. You can figure out and follow all our stuff there. I'm going to keep working on this and keep thinking about this. Obviously, there's other news too, and we do cover it. But this is probably going to be the top of my mind for a long time to come. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.